Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Well, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Isaiah 6. We last week began a journey through the, the, the book of Isaiah. And man, what a vast, expansive book it is. I, I wish we had time to kind of go verse by verse or by chapter by chapter, but that would take like until five years from now, something like that, right? So we're going to hit some of the highlights, particularly here as we go into the Advent season beginning next week, all right? So Isaiah chapter 6. I wonder, as I was thinking about this passage here, have you guys ever seen something that was amazing? As you think about your life, look back on different places. I mean, what's the most amazing thing that you've ever seen? Now, when that question comes to my mind, I think of two categories. I think about works of nature, that category, and then I think about the category of the birth of my Children, those two categories just stand out to me in my mind. For instance, like, like with, with, with the works of nature, I mean, I've seen several amazing things in nature, but the two that stand out to me are Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon. Uh, and back in 2006, seven of us loaded up in a minivan, six adults and, and one um, toddler uh, named Zachariah, uh, headed out west on like a two-week trip. Seven people in the minivan with all of our luggage as well. We were crazy, right? But, uh, but we, we, we got there and we had a great time. But we traveled to Yellowstone that year. And the whole time that you're in the park, if you've never been there before, you're in awe. I mean, you just really, I mean, you cannot believe what you're seeing. There, there's no other place in America like that place. I mean, geysers like Old Faithful and hot springs and calderas and prismatic springs with the most vibrant colors that are in the rainbow. Canyons and waterfalls and, and bison and elk. And then you begin to do a little research, like, how is all this happening? And you realize that you're walking on the crust of a super volcano, just a few feet. I don't know how many feet, but just a few, it feels like, beneath the Earth's surface. And at that point, you're like, wow! Hope this thing don't blow, right? It's just an amazing place to be. So the whole time you're in the park, there's amazement. And it's just sort of surreal, and then the next year, Christy and I had the privilege of, of visiting the Grand Canyon on the back end of a mission trip to New Mexico. And when you get up there and, and you look over the edge of it, the sheer immensity of that canyon blows your mind. I mean, you think about peering over the rim, and as you look down, like the Colorado River looks smaller than that line, that yellow line going across there. It looks more like one of the cracks going down the, the thing right here. They're just tiny and you see birds soaring, and, and you see all of that way, way, way down there, and, 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 and it just, the, the wonder just falls on you. How in the world did this happen? Why this? Why here? And why is it so extreme? And you just leave there shaking your head saying, wow. But then I think about the other category there with the birth of my children. All five of them, man, they were intense. They were emotional. They were roller coasters that, that ended with sheer joy. And we said, let's ride it again, right? Let's do that again. And we ended up riding you know, five times, right? And uh, Christy and I, with every one of them, just when you get that, that, that precious baby in your arms, and you, you see that little newborn face that you've been longing to see for nine months, and you finally get to kiss it and smell it and do all those things that mamas do with babies. 
when you do all that, I mean, it, it just, Christy and I just wept for joy with every single one of them. They were all life-changing experiences. And I bet you, as you think about in your own life, you have moments in your life that you saw, man, that was amazing. I've never seen anything like that in the world. But I have to believe that with all of these things, although amazing in their own right, they are surpassed by what the prophet Isaiah saw here in Isaiah 6. You see, here Isaiah doesn't just see some phenomena of nature. He doesn't just see the amazing birth of a child or whatever other category you would put in there. He doesn't see just the creation. He sees the creator, right? God himself. I mean, can you imagine? He shares with us, Isaiah does, what he sees here in chapter 6. But as I read this, I mean, words cannot do it justice, right? I mean, could you imagine, even as we read a moment ago, the, the praise team read in Revelation there. With all the exalted language and the vivid language, I mean, the, the authors and God is trying to communi communicate to us how amazing it is, yet words fail to describe the true amazing, the true immensity, the true beauty of what it actually is. I want to do something different today as I read the text to you. Normally we stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. But today I want to keep you in your seat. And I want to ask you to close your eyes and do your very best in your mind's eye to see what Isaiah saw as I read it to you. So I just invite you to close your eyes and begin to listen and try to see what Isaiah saw. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see just a glimpse, just a small glimpse of what your prophet saw? Isaiah 6. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking. Woe is me. For I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes or their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? He said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak. 
whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I pray that you just gave them just a small glimpse, God, just a picture in their mind's eye of what your prophet, what you showed your prophet. And God, I have to believe that it was the most amazing thing. Although Isaiah saw a lot of amazing things, God, in his mind and through visions and through your prophetic utterances to him, God, I have to believe this is one of the most amazing ones that he ever saw. God, you are amazing. God, your grandeur is unparalleled. And I pray that today that we would glimpse that and in our hearts, thanksgiving would rise up and that you would draw all men unto yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So as we come into this week of Thanksgiving, man, there is entirely so much in this text to be thankful for. But I see at least four big reasons here in Isaiah 6 for us to be thankful. So here's today's topic. It's simply this, four biblical reasons from Isaiah 6 to give thanks to God this week and every week. If we just said four reasons to give thanks, well, we would be here all day if we were just looking for reasons to give thanks. But in Isaiah here, we have four specific reasons, very specific reasons for you and for me to give thanks to God. In this series that we're calling Ruined to Redeemed, and you see this again play out just like we did last week in Isaiah chapter 1 where God takes those who are ruined and he redeems them and makes them beautiful. So, four biblical reasons from Isaiah 6 to give thanks to God this week and every week. And the first reason is that God has revealed himself to us. I mean, Isaiah says there in verse 1 that he saw the Lord. And he says it again just a few verses later, right down there in in, in verse 5. He says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now don't overlook that in the passage. Yeah, you see the vision and what he saw, but don't overlook the fact that he actually saw a vision of God. Don't overlook that in the passage and don't overlook that in your heart. I mean, that's huge, y'all. It's huge. I think about that old church hymn that says... Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible. And then what does it say? For those of you that know, it is, he is hid from our eyes. And that's true. You see, God is spirit. And God is omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere all at once. He's right now in our midst, yet he is hidden from us. Yet here Isaiah says that he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. Beloved, that only happens when God makes that happen supernaturally. Now, Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20, tells us that, that, that nature itself proclaims that God is, right? It declares to us that God is. Here's what the text says. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But here we go to see how God has declared this about himself, right? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes 
namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made so that they are without excuse. You see, guys, when you read passages like this, when we know that God has certainly passively through creation revealed himself, it's when we see passages like this that that help you and me see that atheism is such a vacuous and scientifically and philosophically silly position. Because every second of every day, creation is screaming, God is! Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. You want data? (laughs) You want proof? Open your eyes, beloved. It is all around you, and not just around you, it is in you, right? Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, it's declaring universally that God is. God is. It's universally experienced by every person simply by being in the world. But, but that universal revelation of God is limited. It's vague at very best, right? Let's just be honest here. It's vague and very open to interpretation. We see the rainbow and we think, well, God must be good. But then we see the tornado and we say, oh, God must be angry. It's hard to figure it all out. Nature clearly tells us that God is, but what is he like? How do we relate to him? Nature cannot definitively tell us that, okay? And our sinful nature takes all of that good data that we see in nature and it suppresses it and it twists it to make idols of the heart and of the eyes. And so we need more. We need more than just simply creation to know who God is and how to relate to God. And praise be to God, he has not left us without more. God has given us more. You see, here God gave Isaiah a vision of himself, right? Now, it was no doubt sort of a limited manifestation of the fullness of God, but an amazing manifestation nonetheless. Isaiah says that he saw a great king sitting on the throne. How do we know that he's a great king? Because he's on the throne, right? Just like earthly kings do. The the throne symbolizes his royalty, his power, his authority, his sovereignty. And that throne is high and lifted up likely at the top of a staircase, right? Leading up to that throne. You ever wonder why in like all the TV shows that have like English and and European kings and queens, they call them your highness? (laughs) The reason they call them your highness is because they are high and lifted up physically above their people, particularly when they sit on their throne to symbolize their social and governmental elevation above their people. And in this vision, where is God? He is high and lifted up on his throne. But not only does he have a throne, but he also has this robe, this royal robe. And it says that his royal robe has a train. It has a a thing that flows behind him so long that it fills the entire temple here. And all of this tells us that this isn't just some regular king. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. 
This is God, and he's revealed himself to us. But for you and for me, think about this for just a moment. We've seen an even greater revelation of God than Isaiah saw. You say, well, where do we see that, Ben? In the person of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest revelation of God. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, we love the imagery here and all those things, but the greatest revelation that God has ever made of himself is in Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews 1, verse 1, 2, and 3 tells us this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God used to speak through prophets, but today, in the last 2,000 years, he has spoken to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate revelation of God. God in the flesh. God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. But there are many revelations of the one true God throughout history. And the Bible that you and I hold in our hands is the fullness of that, right? It has everything. It contains everything that you and I need right here in Scripture. The Bible tells you and me all about God. It doesn't just give us visions like this. You see, when you read the book of Revelation, when you read the book of Daniel, when you read anything that's apocalyptic literature, and you could argue that right here, in Isaiah 6, this is sort of apocalyptic literature. You know what it's supposed to do? It's not just there to give you information. It is there to get a, an emotional response. You're supposed to read it and say, what? Okay? You're supposed to read it and be moved inside. And Scripture certainly gives us a lot of those things, but it doesn't just give us those things that, 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 that sort of lead us to this emotional response of awe and of terror. It also gives us, praise God, propositional truth about who God is and what God is like and what his will on earth is. And so, beloved, in his grace, mercy, and love, God has not remained hidden. He's obviously here in the prophet giving us a vision. In Jesus Christ, he's given us the ultimate revelation, and he's written it down and recorded it all right here in Scripture for you and for me. He has revealed himself to us. We know who he is, what he's like, and what his will is. And for that we should be thankful. But we see another reason to be thankful here in Isaiah 6. And that is because God in his holiness radiates his glory. Let me say that again. God in his holiness radiates his glory. Now, God is not the only being that is seen in this vision. There's also some other beings there. They are the seraphim. Now, the seraphim, we get this amazing description. We're not told how many of them, but we get this amazing description. Look at verses 2 through 4. Here in Isaiah 6, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The Hebrew word seraphim literally means burning ones, okay? I just picture in my mind like 
I don't even know the dude's name. Isn't like one of the Fantastic Four, aren't they like a, isn't there one that's like on fire all the time flying around for those of you into superheroes? What's his name? The Human Torch. That's right. So I picture my mind like the Human Torch here, okay? This dude who is on fire, but he's not being consumed. And these seraphim, they, they have they have human features, a human appearance, right? They have feet, they have hands, they have a face, but unlike humans, they have six wings. Two wings for flying, two wings for covering the seraphim's face, and two, finally, to cover their feet. You say, why, why the feet and the face? Well, you know, most likely that, that's simply just a posture of humility before the great king, our God. But more importantly this morning than what they did or how they appeared is what they declared. Did you see what they cried out? And we've sang it all morning. I appreciate Pastor Will so much and the praise team putting together a worship set that points us to this, this central, this key text in all of Scripture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You say, well, why did they say it not once and not twice, but three times? When Hebrew culture, that's how they communicate a superlative. That something is better than something else, all right? So uh, where you and I in our culture, we, we, we use language that, that simply adds E-S-T, like that is the coolest, or that is the prettiest, or that is the holiest. In the Hebrew language, they would say, Dude, that is cool, cool, cool. <laughs> or that is, she is pretty, pretty, pretty. Or in this case, God is holy, holy, holy. That means that God is the most holy being in existence. Let me say that again. God is the most holy being in existence. But what does that mean? It means two things. First, it means that God is perfect in all of his attributes. He's perfect in wisdom. He's perfect in love. He's perfect in power. He's perfect in his decisions. He's perfect in his morality. He's perfect in his actions. He's perfect in his being. He lacks nothing. But secondly, it means this. Because God's holiness goes further than merely his perfection. Second, it means that God is other than us. God is other than us. In other words, He is not like us. In His essence, in His being, He is other than us, different from us, distinct from us. And it's not just that He is sinless, although He is. It's that he is separate from everything that is sinful. He is utterly removed from the profane world. He's on another level, y'all. And it's a level that no one else shares with him. But I say this morning, praise to God that God does not hide his holiness. In fact, look at what our text says. Our text says that the world is full of his glory. Now, what's the difference there? What's the difference between holiness and glory? Here's the way I like to think of it. Holiness is the inner distinctiveness of God's essence, right? His being. And glory 
is the outward manifestation and the shining forth of God's holiness. His being and his actions, right? It's the glory of all that. It's sort of like the sun. The sun is not light, right? The sun is like helium and all these other chemicals that are blowing up inside this thing we call the sun. But what shines forth from the sun? Light. And God, in the same way, in his essence, in his being, he is holy. And what shines forth because God is holy? And the answer is his glory. Glory is the outward manifestation, the shining forth of God's holiness. And as the seraphim say here, the whole earth is filled with God's glory. That means there's not a spot on creation or in creation that's not touched by God's glory and shines forth God's glory. And I say to you this morning, we should be eternally thankful for that. Think about that for just a moment, guys. There's not a spot on this earth that does not bear the mark of his glory. And that especially means you this morning. Why were you created? What is the meaning of life? (laughs) To glorify God and to enjoy him. That's why you were made. God wants to radiate his glory even more greatly through you. It's already there. He's already glorifying himself through you, but he wants to do it more. But we see a third reason to be thankful this week and every week in God which is this third truth, is that God has provided forgiveness and atonement. God has provided forgiveness and atonement. Yeah, man, God is holy, holy, holy. Yes! And yes, the whole earth is full of his glory. And just like a moment ago when we sang, Holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And we were just celebrating and rejoicing, right? That's, that's the proper response. You see, while we rejoice in that moment of amazement, when we see God's holiness and glory, the very second, though, we have a moment of self-reflection, our delight turns to despair, just like it did with Isaiah. You see, when Isaiah saw the Lord in all of his majesty and heard the seraphim declaring God's holiness and glory and watched the temple shake and fill with smoke, he undoubtedly was filled with awe, but that awe immediately turned to woe. Look at verse 5, Isaiah 6, 5. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I'm lost from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, Isaiah immediately, intuitively realized his sinfulness. As he saw God's holiness and glory, he immediately, painfully became aware of the truth of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He understood in that moment his unholiness and it scared him to death. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm doomed. I'm ruined. And he was indeed a man of unclean lips, just like you and me. And those unclean lips simply bore the fruit of an unclean heart, an unclean soul. What an uncomfortable situation it is. 
when unholiness comes into the presence of complete and perfect holiness. Isaiah, he was at once convicted of his sin, confessed his sin. And I say that, beloved, because that's very important here. Listen to me very carefully. If you're here this morning and you've never repented and trusted in Christ, this I'm about to share with you, the first step to being cleansed and saved. You know what the first step is? The first step to being saved by the Savior is realizing and agreeing that you are indeed lost and in need of saving. Right? The first step to being saved is to say, woe is me, I am unclean. Now there are some of you this morning who have walked in here and praise God that you're here. You have never been saved. Or maybe you walked an aisle at one point in your life But there's no relationship there. There, There's no fruit there. You simply walked an aisle. You were never saved. And maybe one of the reasons that you've never been saved this morning is that you've never understood that you're lost. You've never understood that. So listen closely this morning. You and I are sinners. I'm a sinner with you. I am not simply someone who's standing on a pedestal saying, Hey, y'all down there, get, get, get yourself together. No, I'm down here with you, right, saying, I'm a beggar. I'm just telling another beggar where to find bread here. We've fallen short of God's glory, and that is demonstrated most vividly through the Ten Commandments, where God commands us to worship nobody but Him, but we've broken that. Right? God commands us to always tell the truth, but we've broken that. God commands us to keep our thoughts and our bodies sexually pure, but we have broken that. God's commands are to keep our thoughts And even our hands, free from the shed of blood. Yet we've broken that. God commands us to obey our parents. And (laughs) we've broken that, right? I mean, I could go on, on and on. But surely, if you've broken one, the scripture says you've broken them all. And I stand before you this morning guilty before God based on what I've done. And you are as well. You're guilty because God is holy. He's not just holy, right? He's holy, holy, holy. God cannot have a relationship with us. God must remain separate from us because God is holy. He he must not only separate from us, God must punish us for our sin. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. Death on this earth and death in hell forevermore. That's what Ben Simpson deserves, and that's what you deserve. And you may think that your good outweighs your bad, but I'll say to you this morning, you're you're deceived. Your good does not outweigh your bad. Are you kidding me? But even if it does, let's just give you the benefit of the doubt. Even if you'd say, yes, I've thought about it, I've checked it out, my good does indeed outweigh my bad, Ben. I would say to you this morning, then you've missed the point entirely. Because the question is not, does your good outweigh your bad? The question is, do you have any bad? And if you have any bad in your life, if you have ever sinned, just one sin is enough to make you guilty. One sin is an unpayable, infinite offense against our holy God that you cannot overcome by yourself. Based on what you and I have done, we got to echo Isaiah here. And say, woe is me, for I'm lost. 
But here's the good news. I want you to see what God does here in Isaiah 6. Right? You want to have a reason to be thankful this morning? Right? You want to have a reason to be thankful this week? Look at verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 6, 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You see what happened here, beloved? It's that God acted in grace and mercy toward Isaiah. He cleansed Isaiah of his sins. He atoned for his sins. You see, God's, God's grace and mercy, that, that was Isaiah's only hope. And I say to you this morning that God's grace and mercy still today. Some, this was around 750 B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood when Isaiah got this vision. So some 2,700 years later, God's grace and mercy is still our only hope. Our only hope, and that grace and mercy is extended to you and to me through Jesus Christ. He is that coal in one sense that touches our lips and cleanses us. He lived the holy life that you and I cannot live. He died the horrible death that you and I deserve, and he rose again from the dead as proof that every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what that means? That means that every person in here can be saved. I don't care what lifestyle you're living in. I don't care what your past is. I don't care where you're from. I don't care anything about any of the things that you might raise up and say, no, I've got this issue, preacher. All of them have to put their hands down. Because in Jesus Christ, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will and can be saved. And many of you here today, You've already experienced that. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. But some of you haven't. And I'm thankful today that God has given you another chance to turn and trust in Jesus and be saved. Listen, don't wait. I mean, we're, we're going to give an invitation here in a few minutes. But don't wait until then. Yeah, you don't get saved by walking an aisle. You get saved by God by calling out to him from your heart and saying, Woe is me. Save me. That's what it takes. Don't wait for the invitation. Do it now, right now, between you and God. Just call out to God and you will be saved and know that Jesus is your Savior. I'm so thankful that God's provided forgiveness, that God has provided atonement. But finally this morning, I, I see a fourth reason to give thanks to God this week and every week, and it's this. God has given us a ministry. God's given us a ministry. Man, that should be mind-blowing, right? He's given us a ministry. The ones who were just crying out, woe, and they were in terror and they're in despair. These are the ones that God calls up on and then entrusts with a ministry. Man, God is good, isn't he? Look at Isaiah 6, 8, and 9. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go before us? Then I said, Here am I, Send me. And he said, go and say to this people. So as God looks out on us, God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah here immediately responds, here am I. Send me. Beloved, I say to you this morning, isn't the willing heart that's demonstrated here in Isaiah the only proper response 
to the forgiving, atoning grace and mercy of God. Isn't that, could there be any other right response when called upon by the God who has saved us other than to say, yes, God, I'll go. I will go, God. And that's exactly what we should do. That's exactly how you and I should respond. You see, God's grace to us demands our service to him, not because we have to, not because we're trying to pay God back, but because we are full of gratitude for what God has done and because there is joy in walking with Jesus and in serving Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I still remember very vividly, guys, the season in my life when God was calling me specifically into vocational ministry. Very vividly, still remember those days. Back in 1999, 2000, somewhere around in that area. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is calling us everyone into ministry. Right? I mean, some of us is going to be vocational ministry, a few of us. But for the most part, it's going to be just ministry, right? It's part of our life. It's who we are. We do it. Whether we're getting paid to do it or not, that's the calling on the Christian life. Every one of you has been called to be a minister. Every one of you has been asked by God, who will go for us? And God is waiting for you to say, here am I. Send me. Send me. Beloved, listen to me very closely. You say, well, I would do it if I was just better equipped. And the truth of the matter is that God doesn't call the equipped. As the old cliche goes, he equips the called. He's just looking for that willing person. The willing person to answer and say, yes. And then he'll provide you everything that you need. God desires to use you to make a difference right here right now and around the world. And so praise God, thank God. The question is, will you be willing? Now you might be thinking it depends. <laughs> it depends on what he calls me to, right? I mean, you, you don't want to just give that blank check, right? That's what holds you back sometimes. But I want to remind you that you're not shopping for a job here. You're not going to the job search engine, Indeed, or what other job search monster, or what, I don't even know what you use anymore, right? And looking for a job and saying, no, I like that one. Oh, the pay's good on this one. Oh, that one looks like it fits my skills, or this one looks like it'd be fun and adventurous. <laughs> We're not choosing between jobs like that. We are serving a king, and God gives us that ministry. Now, as we read Isaiah's ministry here... <laughs> Man, it's going to be a tough ministry. Look at it again with me. He said to him, here's his ministry. Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, I'll go, God. He says, great. Come here, hoss. <laughs> and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy, or their ears heavy, and, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O oh Lord? How long do you want me to do that? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. His job, his calling, his ministry was to, was to prophesy severe discipline upon the people of Judah. That was his job. Do you think he would have gladly said, yeah, God, me, send me. 
if God had given him the details beforehand. Guys, that's why God doesn't tell you beforehand. And who knows what ministry you'll have. You may have the greatest ministry that you say, man, every bit of it was awesome. It was amazing. God blew my socks off. Or you may have the ministry that you feel like every day is burying somebody. Whatever it is, y'all, be faithful. Be faithful. God doesn't tell us up front. Remember, we're not applying for a job. We're surrendering to a king. No matter the ministry. You see, God, though, is always working his good. Even here. His holy plan. I want you to notice, as we come to a close this morning, I want you to notice the promise in the final phrase there. Go back to verse 13 and look at it with me. He says, And though a tenth remain in it, they're talking about the land there, it'll be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. You see, God in just a few years was going to bring the Babylonian people to destroy the land of Judah. Because they had broken the covenant with God, God was going to discipline them. He had already disciplined the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrians and had wiped them off the face of earth. But Judah remained and God promised this. Though it will look like they are utterly destroyed, there's going to be a stump. And this stump is going to be the hope of the world. We're going to talk more about that in just a few weeks. So I just challenge you even between now and then, go study on this stump. And what Isaiah is talking about here is it's awesome to think about. Beloved, there are so many things to be thankful for. Here's my final prayer this morning. May we lift up our thanks high to God who is seated on his Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is... The most important question you'll ever answer, where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. 
He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.